This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Balls. Hello everyone and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. This week, as ever, I am joined by the wonderful Jackie. Good morning, Jackie. It's the morning we're recording morning, this podcast. Lyle. How are you, Jackie? I'm croaky this morning. Bit croaky this morning. I was going to say, yeah, it's a kind of a different vibe, isn't it, to record a podcast <laughs> early in the morning. I've already warned both Jackie and my guest, who I'm about to introduce, that there could be a few irate honking horns in the background of this podcast this week. So just to prepare yourselves for that, listeners, it's an atmospheric episode. Now we're going to be looking forward to the honking horns, you know. This is it. Now I can't afford to edit them out. Now it's going to be sort of <laughs> it. It deserves to be that atmospheric. As ever, my name is Lara Fulton. I'm here with Jackie. And this week we are joined by the absolutely magnificent, the wonderful Kelly Vero. Kelly, how Ooh. are you this morning? Welcome to The Rest is PR. Ah, I'm so happy to be here. But yeah, it's early, isn't it? <laughs> For I love that. I'm so happy to be here, but it's early, by the way. I just thought I'd sort of throw that one under the door. Yeah, no, it is. It is a bit early. But thank you so much for joining us this early in the morning. Uh, recording this, by the way, listeners, at 9 a.m., which I suppose I'm really happy to be here. Business hours, right? You know, the, 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 the working mm. day has started. So actually, if anything, uh, not in PR, actually... it hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> We're good for another couple of hours, I think, if you've ever worked in an agency, seeing people rolling in before midday. Already, just fresh insight into, you know what I mean? I think I think we put the curtain up, haven't we, Jackie? And sort of, yeah, it's 9am to like 6pm. Do most have a pros, you know? They're pros, they're diligent and professional. (laughs) They're not like some of these 90s and noughties PR and advertising and marketing agencies where, you know, your senior account exec shows up at two in the afternoon (laughs) and you sort of go, morning, or nice of you to drop in. <laughs> Those were the days. Or at least they're not obviously. At least at least what they do is they succeed in showing you as a client that that is not what's going on. I mean, I'm sure that's not what's going on at all. I mean, I know for a fact that's not what's going on. We're all in bright and early on the Zoom, on the Zoom meeting. So, Kelly, welcome. It's fabulous to have you here. Now, I could try and describe the plethora of things you've done throughout your career and the plethora of things you're doing at the moment, but considering how brilliant you are and how much energy you already bring to this podcast, I thought, what better way to kick it off than for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your career so far, your experiences in PR, just open, open up and tell up. us. So yeah, just open it right up and tell us what you're up to at the moment, maybe, but also sort of your journey so far and, and what you've been up to throughout your career. My career started when I was 10 years old because I, I won a prize in my like hometown for writing a story based on what I perceive to be fact of seeing a ghost on a canal boat somewhere between Burton-on-Trent and, I don't know, you know, the Manchester Ship Canal, somewhere around there. And I wrote this, like, story about it. And my teacher said to me, wow, you've got such a gift for telling stories. (laughs) If my family are listening, they'll be like, yeah, she's built an entire career on it. Um, And that's true because that's what I did sort of from there. I realised that I had, I found something that I was good at. I could channel my energy into it and I thoroughly enjoy writing. And so through that, I was able to 
So the types of things that I did when I left school are not unsavory, but they're absolutely hilarious and have made me the person that I am today. So I have been the PR for a death metal label, <laughs> um, which involves literally standing at the side of a stage, laughing at people screaming into a microphone. So that was great. I've also been a hostess at an LGBT club. I've been a writer on various AAA video games. And then with my game development career, I went into sort of other avenues as well, from production to, you know, uh, consultation, et cetera, which is kind of what a lot of what I do today. I've written eight books, two of which were bestsellers on the New York Times bestseller list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've worked for what some may say is the most difficult family in the world <laughs> the Osborns. <laughs> <laughs> and um I kind of lived a very colorful life but I've always at the heart of what it is that I've done I've been able to be unlike as early as it is this morning on this podcast eloquent in describing it which I'm not saying <laughs> but, um, but I've always been fairly sort of being able to bring that down into sort of the written word or the creativity of what each one of these things has done either for me or what I've given to that particular industry so I tell you I wake up every morning Lyle and Jackie Jackie knows this anyway and I literally count my blessings I'm really really a lucky girl I'm lucky I'm lucky that I haven't been uh, either taken into court on a defamation claim (laughs) or, or, you know, had my kind of reputation destroyed in some way. I actually have. There's time. I mean, the podcast is, you know, sort of five (laughs) minutes young. I mean, I do know you you do live life on the edge, Kelly. You are a complete rebel, a complete disruptor. Um, but th- I think because you ha- have an awareness, having been a- on the other side, having been a PR, you have an awareness of just how close to the edge that you can get. <laughs> I don't think you would get taken to court because you do. I think you do have an innate knowledge of just just how far you can push. So I live in they? <laughs> so many people don't, and I think that's really interesting because so many people kind of really do go to the like very edge and then go over the line it's like no don't go over the line because over there is madness stay on this side where it's still fun (laughs) i think it's really unusual to have you on the i mean it's great to have you as our first guest because as i was saying to to lyle just before we started the the recording you've been a client you are a client you're one of our clients but you've also been a pr so you get it so this is why you're the perfect person to bring on to this podcast you know, I went to Gamescom a couple of weeks ago and I was actually with somebody from Demoso who was like at the event and represented me. Daff. And somebody, Daff, yeah. Oh, wonderful Daff. Daff. Somebody said, um, I guess she's really difficult to work with. And he looked this person in the eye and said, actually, she's one of the easiest people I've ever worked with. <laughs> and I said, what the hell was that all about? And he went, I'm only telling the truth. I'm just telling the truth. Well, it is easier to work with a client that does actually understand the process of PR. And it's what we've spent a lot of time talking about so far on the podcast. But what's it like being poacher turned gamekeeper? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? But I think it does make the job like a lot easier, doesn't it? Because um, as you just said, as you just set up, 
you have this kind of innate sense of how far you can go but also you can see things coming and so I think when you can see things on the horizon I tend not to be the type of person to sort of sit around and wait for stuff to happen if I see something that I want to do I go get it and then I bring everybody along with me so sometimes in the past when I've worked on PR projects for other clients you know they've been very sort of measured and slow on the uptake and I'm I'm already there I've already dealt with it I've gone past it and I've reported on it and it's all done <laughs> and uh, and I think for a lot of people it can sometimes be hard for them to keep up with the things that I say the things that I digest and read and the fact that I want to be as far ahead of the game as possible that actually, actually makes you a perfect client actually it's one of the things I talked about on one of the podcasts was you know there are some clients that will passively pass over their job to to you as a PR agency and they'll say okay go and do that whereas by the time I've written up the notes from our meetings you've actually written a byline and it's there for us to pitch um, so you are like way ahead of the game and it's really and I think you're the epitome of a great client from the perspective of and I'm not just blowing wind up the proverbial but from the perspective of helping us sort of ideate with us sort of collectively brainstorming coming up with an idea but also I mean you're fantastic because you're a great writer so as I said from the minute we come up with an idea for a story you've probably written it <laughs> But teamwork makes a dream work, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think that if you've got a good team, they really do make it happen for you. So it's not kind of as though you're working in a silo. Whereas mm. I think a lot of clients, especially ones that I've worked with in the past, and I'd even accuse myself at one time or another of being like that, working in a silo is not the way if you want to pitch stuff out there, if you want to talk about things. What you have to do is got to sell it into your team first I think sometimes and the team will go yes yeah, sounds like a really great idea we'll just write the byline and then yeah like you say of course by then I've already written the byline I've pitched it and I'm already out there but I needed <laughs> you to come on board with me so that's why it's you know super important the work yeah you sort of casting my mind back to sort of when you were describing your journey so far and your career so far and what struck me as really interesting and really relevant in fact is actually our last podcast was on writing specifically but it was kind of also loosely based on what I was terming the art of storytelling and it strikes me that you from the age of 10 when like you say you started your career which I just find amazing and absolutely brilliant were always fundamentally obsessed and really really intriguing interest in storytelling and I think a lot of people when they're looking to start their career telling stories might look towards the obvious right I want to write a book that's a fictional story I want to write a novel I want to do this I want to do that but you took a really interesting other route and you tell stories every day of your life and you've told stories every day of your career but in all sorts of different industries how important do you think it is to be flexible with your approach and how important do you think it is to be open to other industries when it comes to your passion to want to tell stories in all sorts of different areas and how much do you think your determination to do that has meant you've been successful in all sorts of other areas? Well, because I think that, you know, a good writer writes their truth first. And then after that, they seek the truth in other places. And I think as a client and as a writer, if you don't access your own truth first, I've worked with some 
absolute doozies of rock stars, game developers, all kinds of stuff like that. And they're all about the mythos of who they are, when actually that's not important. The truth of who you are is how we build the mythos. So you've got to have a good starting point with which to build upon. And a lot of people miss that. I'm pretty afraid of the truth, actually. But that makes me more honest when I talk about stuff that is really important to me, like the metaverse or video games or even death metal, right? So I really want to come at it from the perspective of, okay, what is my familiarity with this? And then how can I inspire the desire for people to want to get on board with what it is that we're doing? Amazing. If that answers the question. Oh, no, it's, it most <laughs> certainly does. It most certainly does. And it also leads me to another fundamentally, I mean, this is quite a selfish question, actually, because you mentioned briefly some of the people you work with, some of the games you've worked on. This is selfish because I'm really interested in doing it myself one day, potentially. And I love that sort of music and I love the games you've worked on. I suppose... The first specific question is how you first got into working with metal groups, how you first got into working in like music PR. What was what was the journey there? Like, how did that start? And what was the experience like working with those sorts of people? Again, this is like all about setting up your own storytelling, right? Identify the key people in your network that are going to be able to lift you or drive you in terms of where it is that you want to be. And that's what I did when I first started working fresh in PR trust me on this my writing style was just dreadful it hadn't really developed from the 10 year old kid that won the Lord Mayor's Prize but surround yourself with people who are better than you and they will help you and guide you that's why I spend all my time with Jackie and Demoso you know because they're amazingly better than me but but I think you know then what you do is you do that you surround yourself with geniuses they kind of guide you on the right pathway and then you just become what it is that you yeah but I'm not going to let you get away with that Kelly because you have chutzpah you know you have cojones great there's one thing and I do think that that is something my son calls my chutzpah my lack of an embarrassment gene so (laughs) (laughs) my my mum was born without the gene of embarrassment Such a good um, way of putting it. One day he'll realise that it's a great, uh, it's a great attribute. One day he'll realise that. <laughs> but there is, a, there is an element of putting yourself out there, isn't there? And being, I don't know whether it's brave or foolish, but it is putting yourself out there and being a bit more open. So, in order to surround yourself with those types of people, you kind of need to go hello. I want to be with you. I want to be in this crowd. I want to be part of this. I mean, how did you do that? I think you just got to lay yourself bare, haven't you? And mm. say, I'm completely terrible. Please help me be good. And then in return, what I'll do is I will either be a friend for life. I'll produce your firstborn child. I'll do sort of <laughs> any of these things that will repay you in some way. Um, whether that's a financial transaction or whether that's, you know, opening doors. I think one of the things that I'm really great at is connecting people with people. Yeah. You know, they used to call that 
strategic marketing but it really <laughs> isn't that at all it's networking and sort of networking your way around stuff so if people say oh do you know someone who does such and such I probably knew them 25 years ago but I still know them and I can still make that connection mm. it's not a problem and with the people that I've worked for to answer your question Lila in music and video games I suppose what I've really done is as I just said I've just laid myself bare and sort of said I believe that this is something I could be really great at if you just give me a chance to do it. And then when I get given that chance, I just don't let people down. Also, that bravery thing actually comes from a place of total fear. Remember I said about the fear of being truthful and honest. Sometimes you just have to lay yourself bare, don't you? And just go, I'm an idiot. Make me less of an idiot. And people think, oh, that's cool. That's really cute. When I worked in the music industry, especially somebody said to me, we'll find you a really good chart topping band or someone that you can work with. They'll make you really rich. And I said to the, the guy at the time, who was a pretty famous record producer, I said, I don't want to be rich. I want to be successful. And those two things are not the same. And, you know, I think to be successful. Yes, to be successful. Sometimes you've got to say, right, I'm not going to make anything for the next like, couple of months. But know that in the future, if money is the thing that drives you, you will get to that place. And I think what's really interesting about what you just said as well, I mean, again, an absolutely magnificent point. But again, we mentioned it in last week's episode of the podcast about how particularly PR and, and communications and things of that nature in whatever industry you're utilizing those particular skills. We spoke about how it's always important to be learning. Like you can go in and have a set of skills that are useful to a particular client or a particular situation. But at Demozo, we discussed, and me and Jackie discussed, how we're always learning from our clients as much as our clients are learning from us and what we bring to the table. And I suppose a brilliant point you just made is how important it is to be truthful. If you go into a working environment and you claim you're able to do all of these outlandish things, you're going to get found out and that's going to be quite oh, scary. Oh, big time. Yeah. Whereas if you turn around and go, look, these are things I know. These are things I don't know. But these things I don't know, I'm, I am really, really keen to know. And I work hard and I won't let you down. You're going to be successful, you know, yeah, and, that, and success is important, isn't it? You know what I mean? Successful and how you measure success is really, really important. So I think that's a, a magnificent point. I get a lot of questions from people that are coming up in any of these industries that say, hey, what's the thing that we should really look out for? And what's the thing that could really like make us successful? Or when I say you, work on yourself. People mm. buy into people. They don't buy into persona. They buy into people. Persona is something we create. It's part of the storytelling rules. But it's not something that we arrive at. It's not the destination. I think authenticity is something that is so, so important in communication. You know, in sales, they call them USPs and or ESPs. But for us, it's being authentic and being honest and being truthful, which a lot of people don't associate yeah. with PR. Most people think PR is all about spin. And it, it's not. It's interesting because Kelly and I were having a chat when... Um, dear old uh, Darius Dinesh died and um, he you know he was a, a person that you knew and it's really interesting because as soon as we started talking about authenticity I remember you saying to me he was totally authentic he was a kind nice person and he's left that legacy it's not just um, being a singer or anything like that but the interactions and it, it was interesting hearing his obituaries 
um, or people talking about him. It was that sort of total authenticity. That's what stuck with with people. So, you know, that was something we discussed in terms of what it means in, to be a, a good person, to be somebody that sticks in your consciousness and somebody that has longevity. And I think yeah. certainly going into your career and being part of an environment or an industry he was in a really horrible kind of you know bitchy kind of pop music environment and still managed to stand tall well he was very tall but do you know what I mean I guess what I'm talking about is that total honesty of spirit which I think really comes across in great clients and self-awareness I mean be aware of the fact that you know one day you're not going to be in this position and I think one of the things that was great about Darius was that he was always very grateful he was always very aware that it could all end tomorrow and a few times it did end for him for sure Mm. but he was never like comparatively I talked about someone that was on the same bill yeah or a group that was on the same billing and they had written specifically into their rider, we do not want to make eye contact with children. Because... Which was shocking because this was a very well-known pop band. I know we're not allowed to defame, but it was a very well-known pop band whose clients, whose fans were children. Know who they are. That's extraordinary. Yeah. I've never heard of that. That's, yeah. that's truly extraordinary. Yeah, we don't want to shake hands with them. We don't want to make eye contact with them. Now, you hear these kind of stories, don't you, in the world of, like, I think Bruce Willis, you know, said he didn't want to make eye contact with people on a Hollywood film set. Okay, if you're in character, then, of course, if you're a method actor, then maybe it's going to affect what happens during your sort of Stanislavski process. <laughs> but actually, the, the fact of the matter is, you're a pop star. You're not here for very long. Enjoy. <laughs> the time that you've got shake hands with everybody kiss everyone you know take all those germs pass them back to around to everybody at home but I even see this now in the games industry I see people in the games industry that have no self-awareness and therefore because they've got a lack of self-awareness they also have a lack of spatial awareness and they do not know who they are yeah. Because they believe that they are X or Y. Ooh, and it's usually this is a good subject. Way. Believing your own PR. This is a never, really never. good subject. Because you've dealt with some really tricky people, haven't you? Yeah. And some really and I am a tricky people. person because and you are a genius. Because you've got to critique what it is that you sort of see. You can't just kind of go ahead and say, yeah, Demoso, write whatever the hell it is you want about me, no problem, and just pitch it out there to the Sunday Times or Kerrang! magazine or whomever. No, you've got to critique every single part of that. I'm not the type of person that's going to, and, and also I would never, oftentimes, I would never kind of say, hey, Demoso, you shouldn't be writing that kind of stuff. It's about critiquing yourself. It's not about critiquing what somebody has written about you. It's about saying, Am I really that person that did that? Oh, if I am, I need to remember that because it's important to think about all those cool people you worked with at the time when you were making that game or you were doing that thing and then talk about them in interviews. You know, don't make it all about you. Even though people want to talk about you, don't. And so I've seen quite a lot lately of people sort of really feeding the beast and believing that PR and really that, narcissistic glare that they have when you're in those kind of interviews it's pretty hard to sort of take in because the first thing that they ask is the first thing that they ask you afterwards is not they don't say oh thanks that was really great I super enjoyed it they say was I great 
was I okay <laughs> with that? How, how did I? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, also be grateful that a PR company put you in that position. This is what's extraordinary because, again, quite often throughout the podcast, we've been drawing parallels between sort of the PR industry and the PR world at large. And my own experiences as a performer and an actor in, in the acting industry. And there's absolutely the same thing happens. But before I get onto that, by the way, you don't want to know what Jackie's rider is for this podcast, right? Okay. Some of the demands have been outrageous. So I don't, I don't want to get into Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> honestly, only the blue M&Ms, the whole shebang. Honestly, I mean that. Um, but no, I mean, just going back to joking aside, like some of the parallels are quite extraordinary. And I think there's actually a really fine line, I think, between believing your own PR to the point of it being detrimental to what it is you're trying to do and the message you're trying to put out. But also there is a small part of some people, particularly in the performance industry, who don't believe their own PR quite enough. I've met a lot of actors recently who really suffered with sort of low confidence because of a lack of opportunity and that lack of opportunity, then meaning that they haven't flexed the acting muscles recently at all. And then what then happens is, is that when they get an opportunity, they do exactly what you just set out, which is they come out after a performance or if a film or a TV thing comes out. And the first thing they ask is not, you know, did you enjoy that? The first thing they ask is, did you enjoy me? You know, did you think I was good? Sometimes you receive that and you go, oh, that is, that's, this is such a tricky listen um, because it's not all about you. But sometimes you receive that and go, they're really struggling. Yeah, I mean, Do you ever go really, no? Yeah. Uh, sometimes I have. I mean, I would like no, no. Come on, I mean, I'm too. I think I'm too nice a person. Sometimes my wife says I'm a bit too nice when it comes to sort of critiquing people's performances. I'm like, oh, that was that's so great. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I really felt. You, you have know, to act. Yeah, yeah I think that's this is interesting. Interesting point, yeah, yeah. Kelly. You know what it's like working with techies. Techies are like that underconfident actor, mm. and certainly in games and technology, trying to get people to shine their light is quite a tricky tricky thing to do mm. have you ever come across those kind of people kelly yeah i mean you have to kind of do a little bit of stealthy ninja media training with them because mm. if you know that you're going to be on a stage at a convention and you need to do a fireside chat with them first of all they want you to do it because you're on their team and you're the one that's confident. So they want to bask in that confidence because it takes them away from how underconfident they feel. And then the second thing that sort of happens is, is that they want to articulate themselves the same way that you can. And that can sometimes come off as being a bit weird. <laughs> I've seen a few techies go from like zero to hero and then back to zero in a matter of seconds when they're put into a, a situation. And that's why I think, you know, Jackie and I both have quite a lot of jokes about tech bros. They are so polished, but underneath all of that polish, there is such a lack of confidence in what it is that they're saying they're believing, which is why we come back to that entire, like, what's your truth in the mm. storytelling? What are you bearing to us in order for us to pick it up and buy it? And, I worry that a lot of these uh, Silicon Valley tech bros and a lot of these crypto bros and stuff are going to come unstuck. And I've seen a few of them come unstuck on stage. Mm. And a bit like you, Lyle, I've sort of critiqued them with a, yeah, <laughs> great. It's that sort slow of, nod. But really, that... the truth is, that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> I think 
you know, like there's a there's a really great um pitch dude who oh God, I mean, I'm gonna get this totally wrong, but I think he set up or he was involved in investing in MailChimp or something like that originally, a guy or Guy Kawasaki. And he stopped people from doing the sort of 25, 30 slide investor pitch. He wanted people to be more sharp and more condensed in what it was that they were delivering. And so because of that, he wanted people to focus on telling that story. So who are you? Don't go into great detail. Just say, and this is what I say, do you want to know who I am? Go and look on LinkedIn. And then <laughs> it would just go and vomit everywhere all over you. And then two, what is the problem? Three, why is the problem relevant today? Four, what's the solution? And five, how much do you want for it? He actually does a 10 slide pitch, which is great. But I kind of love the five slide because it really does cut to the quick. It's like, come on, this is what we're here for. This is what we're doing. Let's get to it. Off you go. Are you going to give me money today or not? If not, ta-ra, I'm going to go and find somebody else who will for my business or whatever, or my so idea. true. I mean, messaging, This is that's the purest type of messaging that you can talk about when you're talking like, financial give me your money I want to be invested in and this is something we get involved in as well with investor relations and trying to help companies create their own you know pitch decks for investment and coming back to the point that I made in the last podcast Lyle it's so hard to get that one message across you've got funnel everything down into that one core message that somebody can get can understand and that's so important when you're looking for funding. Absolutely right. And I think as well, I mean, what it boils down to as well is if you feel like you can get that message across in five slides, max 10 slides, and you know you've got the message sort of within you, filtering through you strongly enough, and you're sharp enough on all the sort of minor details, then that's perfect, right? Because you can kind of adapt on the fly to questions. We spoke in previous episodes about how important it is to be adaptable and flexible in the world of PR because you do just never know the sort of questions you're going to get asked you know you it's the classic you're doing a spoken word language exam in your GCSEs and I heard a story from uh, the father-in-law actually at a wedding I was just at this weekend who said that when he went in his French practical exam his entire class had just learned how to say hello my name is x I am this years old and my dad's a farmer and everyone failed because all they knew how to say was my dad's a farmer so when they were asked loads of questions in French about other things they just went well my dad's a farmer it's like well <laughs> we just asked you a question about like you know how big your house is well yeah no that's all well and good but did you know my dad's a farmer and it's like <laughs> do you know what I mean and then you're not getting anything across whereas if you know the subject matter if you know the material then any question that's thrown at you, no matter how far-fetched it may have seemed in prep, you know enough that you can answer that to the fullest extent for the person who's asking the question so that they've got a story, they've got the content they need. The techies don't operate like that. They make the mistake of falling into that tech hole. Mm. And that's when you get that narcissistic glare because now we're talking about things that is their train set. You know, I, I also compare this to like the Radio 6 musician interview. Because I listen to people on Radio 6 being interviewed by Matt Everett or whomever, Steve Lamack, and they just are contemplating their navel the whole time. <laughs> it is really an, a, a study in 
in like why actors are actors because they go on stage and they act a part that isn't them but it comes inherently from something that they understand like a writer whereas if you just ask joe bloggs or the musician or joe bloggs the technician to go and talk about the thing that they're really passionate about they will bore you about it for a really really long time if i was to interview you now as hamlet you would get to all of those points as Hamlet with your controlling mum, you know, the fact that (laughs) everybody wants to do you in and you've got, you're surrounded by crazy people, but actually you're the crazy one. You, you will be able to, to nail that Lyle, but you know, there are so many people that can't nail that because they want so badly to tell you the things that they're really passionate about and the things they're really interested in. If I was to ask you the things that you're really passionate about and the things you're interested in, you would go into a massive spiel and just spiral off. And that <laughs> is exactly what technicians do or people who are very passionate about the subject that they're talking about. And I'm saying, you know, with this guy, Kawasaki, the thing that's really great about him is you just squeeze that down into those five or 10 slides and you get that essence And you don't have to spend that time talking about yourself or talking about (laughs) answering the question about a problem by providing a different hypothesis. It's just not necessary. I feel like we've totally spoiled. (laughs) (laughs) Let me me take us off beam a little bit. Tell me what a bad PR looks like. What a question that is. That is a great question. A bad, a bad PR is always a PR that puts themselves first. A bad PR is a PR who is overly results driven to the point where they're thinking about, oh, yeah, well, look what I did for you. I got you this, these column inches and that column inches. Aren't you grateful? You know, <laughs> I've heard that before in music PR. It's much like that. Bad PR is somebody who's like, go it alone. Well, what do I say when I speak to the Sunday Times or or to Grazia magazine or to, you know, the BBC? I don't know. You you know what you're talking about. This is your train set. Go on, <laughs> off you go. No, a, a bad PR is someone who's not prepared to take the time. There's different types of PR, of course, like damage control or crisis management. I've seen some bad PR in those sort of sectors of PR as well where they just kind of go, right, we issued a press release to say that all these people have died on a stage that collapsed at a festival. That's it. We'll take questions. No, it's not that. It's about developing relations. I think relations become so much more important when you get to PR that, you know, your PR effectively has to be your best friend. Or if you are a PR, you have to become very protective of your client. Yeah, what about pushing back, though? I mean, you're, you're... very forthright person and how do you feel if um a pr pushes back to you because i think it i mean we're ancient well i'm ancient so i can sort of say hey you know kelly um i've got the confidence of uh, you know 30 years of experience to say "Mm, i'm not sure you're right about that but how would you feel about some youngster sort of going i don't agree with you (laughs) well i think you and me have had that conversation before haven't we where there's been some pushback i think the relationship between the pr and the client is about learning Mm. where each other's limits lie there's only so much a pr can do as well you can't just demand that pr is just there at your beck and call 24 hours a day 
we've got our lovely little slack channel but i set that up because i've got so many different irons in the fire so many different it made ideas. so much more sense yeah. yeah it made so much more sense to do it that way rather than go lisa I need your undivided attention for the next 48 hours while I tell you what all of my blah, blah, blah is. That is not a good relationship between a client and a PR. They're not there to mop up your messes unless you specifically have that agreement in place. And, you know, a bad PR is always ultimately going to walk away from you with results in hand. And a good PR is going to stay with you throughout your campaign or period or era or epoch you know and also probably i imagine throughout your professional life because even if you i would hope so across yeah. even if you sort of sidestep in terms of your own career path and what you decide to do in the industry or another industry provided you have a relationship with someone who has listened to you you work collaboratively with them as a pr professional you're more likely to go hey x i've moved here now but i know you've got the chutzpah to use a uh, uh, word we've used earlier in the podcast. And I know you've got to get up and go to sort of come and work with me in, in this thing I'm doing. All of a sudden, they've got a new client. You're yeah. keeping up that working relationship with someone you know you can work with collaboratively and really well. And the whole thing just becomes a lot more seamless, a lot more organic. I was going to ask one final question before yeah. we let you go, Kelly, because you've been absolutely amazing. Oh, I have loved this. I mean, I think it's comfortably been the least I've talked, and it's by far and away the one I've <laughs> well, most enjoyed. You get us enjoyed. together, and we could just. We I could loved just it. Talk I all think day. it's been brilliant. <laughs> but we talked a little bit about being your truthful self versus a persona, and I really love that you brought that word up. Increasingly, you can be your truthful self in a persona you create in something called the metaverse, and you have a backdrop behind you which you uh, alluded to before we went live on this recording, is in fact an NFT and, and a gorgeous NFT at that. Can you tell us a little bit about your involvement in the metaverse, how that's changed, and sort of where you see it going in the next five to ten years? Because it seems, based on things I've written and research I've done, like it's just growing exponentially day on day, year on yeah. year. So can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, it's the most exciting thing because 30 years ago when I first started out in the games industry especially, this is where I wanted to be. So it's almost as though we've sort of come full circle. You know, when I was working on games like Tomb Raider and Transformers, I just really wanted to live in those places because the environment art was amazing. The aesthetic was incredible. The stories were awesome. And now the metaverse has given us an opportunity to be able to do that and so much more. And, you know, because the metaverse is completely connective and persistent, we don't have to be there 24 hours a day and be connected to it like in Lawnmower Man or something. What we can do is dip our toe in wherever we feel that it's something that best represents us. And, you know, we've used the the kind of narcissus uh, analogy throughout today's talk about truth and honesty and loving oneself. I think what we get in the metaverse is an opportunity to find the real us in cyberspace, if you want to call it that, whether it is having a backdrop of an NFT or whether it's living in a flat in Sector 7 of Final Fantasy Online. But I wanted to also say that I think one of the reasons why I'm involved in the metaverse is because you've probably guessed that I'm constantly on this journey for truth and I want people to feel that they can be whoever they want to be, but 
also have that time and not feel forced to have to fess up and say, yeah, I'm a catfisher or whatever. You don't have to do that with the metaverse. Avatars give you the opportunity to look however it is that you want to look, but also have those conversations with people where you say, look, I'm not a six foot pink haired person with jazzy glasses. I'm actually four feet, 11, really dumpy, but (laughs) it shouldn't affect like what our relationship is on a either aesthetic level or a or on more of a romantic or platonic level and then with the nfts i think the truth that i'm looking for in there is what we can do and what opportunities are available to us that we don't have everybody's trying to go to the moon why bother just go to the metaverse you will be able to build so much more in the metaverse rather than go to the moon you flipping idiots <laughs> <laughs> i mean you you hide your light under your bushel sometimes kelly i mean kelly it's been setting the sta- literally written the industry standard for nfts and really made nfts properly usable i mean it, it drives me insane i've become the metaverse boy it drives me insane that everybody thinks an nft is just a jpeg it drives me mental um, when they don't understand that it's actually a smart contract for a digital asset that can be anything you want it to be it could be a hotel room key it can be a ticket it can be an album it can be anything it can be a house it can be owning a house and kelly has managed to create the standard that corporations like jp morgan will adopt and and, and have adopted the metaverse and the freedom and the authenticity is so, so important to everything that we're doing with Kelly at the moment. So I'm super excited about that. Telling those stories, making sure that people realise that NFTs are here to stay and are trustworthy. And VR and XR and how we're going to, you know, solve some of the world's problems without building a penis-shaped rocket to go to the moon <laughs> and all that type of like stuff. I don't get it. But I think that we can solve. But typically, quite a lot doesn't of work. No, it doesn't. Work. <laughs> we can solve quite a lot of problems with the metaverse, and I would really love to be able to follow. I, I mean, I, I started on the journey thirty years ago, and I've watched people sort of burn burn up in the atmosphere over it and disappear again in the metaverse and in the games industry. But I think we can come to a really good congress or an understanding within the metaverse to really find and develop that with which we look at when we see ourselves without having to fall into the pond. You're absolutely spot on. And I think just just to finish off as well, a really important point you brought up is, is sort of reminded me of something I wrote a few weeks ago, actually, about the metaverse for a client that works with Mozo. And I sort of was just doing a bit of research and looking into sort of what people actually think of the metaverse as it continues to grow at sort of a really rapid rate. A really illuminating statistic that I found was that a large, I can't remember the exact number, the exact figure, but a large proportion of a survey done over in America, a large proportion of the people who took part in the survey thought that life would actually be that little bit better if a lot of it was lived in the metaverse because of that word that Jackie mentioned earlier on, that authenticity. Because actually some people feel that they have barriers up in life that stop them from being their authentic selves because of their sort of social situation because of the people who are around them because of financial limitations and in the metaverse they're able to achieve that very real very full authenticity. what you these days this is the amazing thing what you imagine you can actually make happen absolutely we have all of these tools at our at our disposal 
and what we can imagine we can make happen for good that's something I, I do want to examine in future podcasts you know what are we doing to be good and give back but anyway that's a whole other subject well this is the thing there's so much more to unpick when it comes to the metaverse yeah. and we haven't even spoken about the Osbournes we haven't even spoken <laughs> about the games you've worked on so I think Jackie we've got no other choice we at need a Kelly Vero part two don't we need we? a Kelly Vero part two we need it <laughs> at some point we need to in the midst of your hugely busy schedule brilliantly busy schedule we just need to have you back on would you be prepared to come back on at some point absolutely but in the really? meantime what you've got to do is you've got to go over to MetaCrunch oh, and yes. uh, go and read about the Meta verse and then get yourself all kind of schooled up on the subjects and opinions that come out of my filthy mouth <laughs> and then when you're ready i'll come back and do a rematch yeah that's true to... kelly is the editor-in-chief of a newly launched publication called meta crunch which is m-e-t-a-c-r-u-n dot c-h which is the swiss Kelly's joining us from Switzerland, and that's a Swiss um, domain name ending, isn't it? So, what is I mean, again, that? we didn't even mention your fr- you're, you're coming to us from Switzerland, so it's our first international guest as well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, yes. this is the first sort of cross-border international appearance on the rest is PR. This is where I start believing my PR. Yeah, so I'm so amazing that I got here today. <laughs> I, I mean, it was so difficult. Like, <laughs> I no idea what my schedule's like. And the truth is, she got an extra hour in bed <laughs> i mean there you go the truth comes out you know how you say you're afraid of the truth kelly well the truth comes out there you go that's that's it well yeah, absolutely rest assured we're going to pop all of those links as well in the bio of this episode so we'll pop a link in our bio for metacrunch so our listeners can go and check that out and also to all of the other brilliant things um, that you're up to at the moment all of the other amazing businesses and enterprises you're involved in but for now from myself and jackie kelly Honestly, thank you so, so much for, for coming oh, on the podcast for us. I thing. loved it. Thank it was you. so easy, wasn't it? Loved oh, it so much. So great. Thank you. Bless you. Thanks, Honestly, Kelly. thank you for coming on. And Jackie, let's do it all again next week, shall we? What do you reckon? Oh, absolutely. Brilliant stuff. Well, as ever, we have been Lyle and Jackie with the wonderful Kelly Vera, and we'll pop those links in our bio. This has been The Rest is PR. I'm not going to say as ever this time because we now have it's fully up and operational the website is going so if you want to get in touch with us to suggest a subject for something for me jackie and one of our guests to talk about then you can drop me a line lyle at themozo.com or info at themozo.com or info at the rest is pr.com and if you want to know what demozo are up to at the moment then you can head over to www.demozo.com and if you want to know what we're up to as a podcast finally you can head over to www the rest is pr.com it's a thing it's real it's up and running we can't believe it it's very very exciting but enough said we've been lyle jackie and kelly and we'll see you next week on the rest is pr